you're in the dark. Good morning. <laughs> I'm so glad that everyone is here today, that you've come out to hear the Word of God. And I uh, just wanted, before we get into this, um, man, I just wanted to talk just for a minute about um, last week. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it online. Um, there were so many stories, so many emails, uh, phone calls, even people just hit me up after all three services. Last week, we hit real hard about learning to trust again and finding forgiveness and restoration. I had so many people, more than I can ever recount, uh, coming up to me and saying how much that impacted their lives. And if you missed that, I want you to go back and listen to that um, because I believe that that truly is us opening up our hearts and allowing God to do the heart work in our lives to help us to find forgiveness and learn to trust again, which is huge, right? It, it, it's a huge thing for us to learn to trust again because we can hear all these different sermons. We can talk about how great God is and sing about the goodness of God and hear it preached and hear it taught, read all kinds of different books. But unless we really trust him that when he says what he says, that he really actually means it and we can actually put hope and trust in that, then we're just hearing all of this stuff and it's never changing our lives or ever renewing our minds because we don't really know if we believe it or not. We don't really know if we trust in him or not. And so there's a lot of things in our hearts that we could open our hearts up to and trust in God and believe that what he says is definitive and it is true and can be trusted above any other's word. Amen, somebody? And so I just want to encourage you to go back. Uh, one of the things also last week that we said was hard work is hard work. It's uh, hard work sometimes because it requires something of us, it requires us to deal with things that we've been trying to sweep under the rug, it requires us to be honest and real with ourselves where we're, where we're at, real and honest with other people, and most importantly, real and honest with God. Because it doesn't really matter if you're real or honest with God, he sees straight through you anyways, right? That's the fun thing about God. He can see right through our little mask and our little parade that we try to put on to make everybody think that everything's just per perfectly fine. Everything's peachy. Everything's okay. No, no. God sees right through it. He understands your real motive. When you do something or when you say something, he goes, I know why you're really doing that. I know why you're really saying that or why you really did that. You see, God is not really interested in what we say or do as much as he is the reason why we say what we say and do what we do, right? That's really what God is interested in because we can't fool it. We can't fool God. He's looking at the heart. And that's what we need to open ourselves up to, to trust him. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this title down, Intentions. So what we're going to talk about this morning is intentions. Um, I read this story about Abraham Lincoln that uh, during the Civil War, he made this statement. President Lincoln said, you know, I hear guys all the time saying that they'll be willing to fight and they'll be willing to give me their very last drop of blood. They're, they'll be willing to just fight till the, till the end, till their very last drop of blood. He said the hard thing was getting them to give the first drop. Everybody said, I'm willing to fight till the last drop of blood, but I'm, I'm looking for guys who will actually do what they say because just saying it and doing it and doing it with the right intent in our heart, they're just completely different things because that's what God looks at. He looks at the intentions of our hearts. But oftentimes what we do is we translate this Americanized cultural mentality that we have towards God. We translate our, our Americanized culture and our way of thinking and we translate that towards how we view God because in our Americanized culture, 
It is, you know, I, I work hard, I prove myself to others, I get rewarded for being good, and so I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do all the things that I need to do to prove to my organization or my friends or whoever it may be that I'm trying to uh, move up the ladder or whatever the case may be, that I'm trying to prove to them I'm valuable, that I'm worth something and that I'm important. And so we think the same thing to God a lot of times. We take this Americanized system of achievement to God. And we think, oh, well, if I read my Bible X amount of you know, minutes or hours a day, or if I pray X amount of hours a day, or all these different things, all of a sudden I'm going to climb the corporate ladder with God, and all of a sudden he's going to go, me and you, we're good. I like you. This guy over here, he doesn't even know where Genesis is. This guy, but, but, but you, you can quote the entire book of Genesis. I really like you. And so we have this, this distorted mentality of achievement with God that we think that if somehow we accomplish all of these things or if we somehow can recite certain things or we're able to do certain things that God likes us more than he likes someone else or that somehow we've manipulated God into being more available to do things for us than he would for someone else because he likes us because we do all the things that he likes. And folks, let me tell you, that is a wrong mentality because God is not looking at just what you do or what you say, but he's looking at the intent in which you're doing it. That's what he's looking at. He's looking at your heart because a lot of people can do a lot of good things and their motives be wrong. A lot of people can say a lot of really nice things, but their motive be wrong. But you see, God doesn't just hear what is said. He looks at why it's being said. A lot of people do a lot of good things, both people that are Christians and people that aren't Christians. People that are unbelievers even understand that doing good will get them some reward or some favor in somebody's eyes. Oh, look at that. I I did a good deed for you. I like you. You know what? If a guy comes up to you and says, hey, I want to pay off your mortgage and he's not a Christian, are you going to reject that blessing? No, you'll get real spiritual and start quoting scriptures like the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. (laughs) Other people, you see, we don't have a problem receiving those things. We don't have a problem giving those things, both Christian and unchristian people understand giving and understand doing something kind and nice for one another and we've got to get past this mentality that living for god and and serving christ is more than just us being nice people that have good ethics and morals there's a lot more to christianity than being a nice guy right there's a lot more to christianity than just doing good to others You're not coming here and assembling week after week just to hear about how we need to do nice things and be good to one another. Because it's not just in the doing, it's in the intent of why you're doing what you're doing that really matters in the end. That's what really counts is the intent of your heart. And that, my friend, is what God is looking at. Because you can do all of these good things and be completely lost. You can say all of these really nice things and be really broken and never find healing, never truly find peace because God is looking at the heart and he wants us to trust him and open up our heart to him to be able to do the heart work that needs to be done so we can be complete and made whole and be restored and understand what it truly means to be free. God is after our hearts. And I want to show you this in the Bible. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, or if you're following along on version, go to 1 Samuel 
15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And just to set this up a little bit for you, Saul is the very first king over the nation of Israel. They wanted a king just like all these other nations, and so God anointed Saul to become the king over Israel. And when Saul first started out, his heart was right, his heart was for God, all of these things. But then some things started setting in. Saul started allowing pride to rule, his own opinion, his own desires to rule. But God sent this guy named Samuel, who was a prophet. And what God would do back in the Old Testament is that he would actually speak through prophets. He would give them words to give to other people. And so here's Samuel. He would come and say, God has told me this, and God has said this, and thus saith the Lord. And then that's pretty much the word from the Lord. So here we have King Saul and Samuel are having an interaction. Samuel's coming to the king and saying, this is what God has said for you to do. Now check this out. In 1 Samuel, <coughs> excuse me, and chapter 15 and verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. For what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, donkey. So Saul gathered all the people together, and he numbered them in Taliam. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to, a city, to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Now check this out, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. So Samuel said, Then what's the bleeding of the sheep I hear in my ears? And what's the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you as king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission, and he said, go, sin, go destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I've gone back on the mission which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder. 
the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have utterly been destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Are you not seeing what I'm doing? I'm doing a good thing. I brought back the best stuff to sacrifice. And then this is what verse 22 says. Samuel said, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice? Behold, it is better to obey than to sacrifice and to heed and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin that's like witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, I want you to catch this. God ordered this entire nation wiped out because they were wicked and they were evil, they were corrupt. But Saul tried to do a good deed. But God saw straight through the good deed. He saw straight through what he was trying to do to try to earn some brownie points with God or to try to set himself up as being so awesome because when he came back to Israel from war, who does he have with him? Look who I got. I got the king. I got Agag, the king. Check this out. We whooped him good. And I'm awesome because of it. He brought back the king, and then all the glory started going to Saul, and he showed the people how great he was. And this is also how great of a king that I am. Even though God said destroy, I don't think God's the kind of God that would want us to destroy the best of the sheep, the best of the ox, because did you see that ox? That was an awesome ox. Now that one over there that looked a little sickly, destroy him. This one, though, I've got it. Let's sacrifice a few to God, and maybe he'll think that was really cool. What do you guys think about that? Good idea, right? Yeah. How awesome is Saul? He brought back the best of the sheep and brought back the be- all these things because he thought God was just going to love this sacrifice so he could show all the people how awesome he was. And it was actually the pride of his own heart, and God saw straight through it. And he said, what you just did is just like rebellion that is also the sin of witchcraft. He said, do you think that God delights in the smell of those burnt offerings? Do you think that's the purpose of burnt offerings is for God to go, ah, that sure is a good smelling ox or ah, that sure is an awesome smelling sheep. Is that why we burn those animals and the smoke goes up to God because he enjoys the smell? Do you think God delights in burnt offerings? He said, no, 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 this whole thing You've been missing the point. God has always been after the heart of man, and he's still after the heart of man, and you have just shown him what is more important. That's what Samuel was saying to him. That's what God was trying to get Saul to understand. He said, listen, I want to see if I still have your heart. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there, there was a choice in the Garden of Eden. They could choose all of the wonderful things that God had provided them, They could eat from the tree of life and they could live forever and they would just be able to be in the presence of God and they would be walking and talking with God, having fellowship with him, having that relationship with him. But God didn't want to force man to do that. God wanted man to choose him. And so he gave man a choice. He put a tree in the midst of the garden that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, now, if you touch that tree, he said, the day you touch that thing, he says, you're going to surely die. And man chose his own will, his own way above the blessing of God. The man chose to be rebellious towards God and not truly trust in what he said was better than what was sitting in front of me. 
Because what happened is the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden, the same thing that happened to King Saul, and folks, it's the same thing that happens today. When we exalt our ideas and our thoughts and our rationale and the things that we think are right in our own eyes, when we put that above what God has said, it is exalting our own thoughts and our own desires above what God desires. And God's looking at the heart. And he sees right through all of it. And he's wanting us to humble ourselves and choose him. You see, Saul was in the middle of this scene where the pressure was put on. He could do something really cool. He was tempted. He knew what the truth was. He knew what he was supposed to do. But he chose instead to do his own desire because he thought he could somehow justify his own desires and rationalize what he was doing and still be okay with God. Because what pressure does in that moment is that it reveals our intent and our desire. When that pressure is put on, when Saul was under the pressure to get rid of those riches and spoils of Amalek, he chose to meet God halfway. Hey God, I'll meet you halfway. How about let's have a little compromise here. I want to bring back Agag the king, even though you told me not to. How about we take all the best animals and we sacrifice them? You meet me halfway, I'll meet you halfway, God. See, God doesn't play that game, folks. We play that game where we think we're going to meet God halfway. Okay, God, I'll give you this, but you have to give up this. No, what God has said is authoritative. It's already set. It's settled. It's forever settled. And you and I need to submit our lives to it. Amen, somebody? So let me ask you this. Pressure reveals that intent and that desire. What comes out of your mouth? When those decisions and thoughts that you entertain, those things that you've been thinking about when you're in the heat of the moment, what are the things that you say in the heat of that moment where the pressure's really on? You know what I'm talking about. Like uh, when you bought that thing you didn't really want to buy, but the pressure was on because it was only 19 payments of 1995, and you thought, 1995, we could not like go out to eat at least one meal a week and we could buy this thing, Right? And that high-pressure salesman's got you cornered, and you're like, okay. And he tries to break down all these different ways, because aren't they really sharp like that? Like, they'll tell you, okay, this is the first way of payment. Oh, well, well I can't afford that. I'm, I'm not going to buy anything. And then he says, well, how about these payments? Well, I don't know. And then he says, well, how about this? Well, we could do that, right? And then you end up with something you never wanted, and you're paying for it over and over and over again. Why? What changed? It was the pressure. The pressure that was put on you, you made that decision. You ever give in to a temptation because of pressure? Have you ever acted in a shameful way around certain people because of the pressure to be accepted or because of the fear of being rejected? And so you acted in a way contrary to how you know that you normally live and your normal values, but because in that moment, the pressure of being accepted or the pressure of being rejected outweighed you standing for what you believed in. And you caved under that. Let me tell you, I have. I don't know about you, but I'll be honest enough to say that I've done that. Uh, I remember one time in particular, um, I was 14 years old, and um, my family had went to vacation in uh, Pensacola, Florida, and there we are on the beach, and my cousin lived real close around there. And so we just picked him up on the way, 
and said, well, why don't you come with us? Well, let me tell you, my cousin was a couple years older than me, and I thought he was one of the coolest guys on the planet. He was not that great of a person and an influence in my life because he, he, he had a foul mouth, he, but, but he had all kinds of things that, 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 that I knew weren't right that he did and he talked about. And, and here I was raised up in a Christian home, Christian kid. Here I'm on vacation with this guy. My mom, oh, it's going to be great for you to spend time with your cousin. Well, thank God now, I just heard that like last month, he like got saved and God like totally jacked him up and he's just like on fire for God, loving God. And he's just doing wonderful now. But back then, not so much. (laughs) But I thought he was really cool because he could talk to girls. He was 16 and I was 14 and he went up and talked to girls like it was nothing. And I was like, you were like the coolest guy in the world. He w- I remember we, were, we went out to eat one time, and he just walked up to this girl and started talking to her. Next thing you know, he gets her phone number, and I'm like, you're never going to see this girl again. What in the world just happened? He was just Mr. Smooth, and I mean, he was just awesome. And I was like, wow, cool guy. So late one night, while we were vacationing in Pensacola there, um, my parents allowed me and him to stay out by the pool uh, late at night after they had already gone on to bed and they said you guys can stay out there and you know just swim and hang out you know and just be sure that you're you're in before you know midnight and I was like cool I've got like this midnight curfew I'm pretty jazzed about getting to be out there by the pool well there were these girls out there by the pool here I am 14 awkward I was not cool I know it's hard for you guys to believe (laughs) I was not cool I was sporting my socks and sandals and I was I thought I was awesome but I was mistaken and, uh, you know, I, I thought that, you know, the bigger my pants could be, the cooler I was. And so I had on giant pants and socks and sandals. And here I am with my cousin. We're out there by the pool, and there's these girls. And I just would clam up around girls. I was so nervous. It's a miracle. It's the grace of God that I've, I'm even married. Um, but uh, here we are. And, of course, he's being Mr. Smooth. I don't even know how he did it. He, just, he would just go up and start talking to him. And... And then all of a sudden, here, here you know, he's, he, he, he's got these girls laughing. He was a funny guy, you know. He's sitting there talking. Oh, they're all just enamored with him. Here I am going, girls. <laughs> talking to him. He's the coolest. And then all of a sudden, they start talking about God. And, uh, and then he said, yeah, my cousin's parents, they're just really religious people. He said, they're just, they're just out there. They're just religious people. And she starts laughing about that. And she looks at me and she says, you're not religious, though, are you? Here I am in the pressure. I'm in the, I'm in the pressure cooker now. Am I religious? And I knew what she meant. And uh, I said, I said, no, I'm not religious like my parents. Or, you know, I mean, I go to church with them because they make me and stuff. You know, I'm a cool guy too. You know, socks and sandals, baby. I'm cool. <laughs> I mean, so here I am, and then something just sunk in the pit of my stomach. I felt horrible. I felt absolutely horrible because I had violated something in my heart that I knew I should have stood up for because the pressure was on, buddy. And I was scared that I wasn't even saved at that point. So <laughs> I got up from that conversation and I, I said, I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to go for a walk. And I, I walked down to the end of the pier because the pool was right there on the beach. And I walked down to the end of the pier and I just wept for about an hour straight. And I just cried out to God at 14 to please forgive me because I thought that I had just committed the unpardonable sin. I just thought that I had just done something horrible and terrible. And I felt like I was, I was just a horrible person. 
the reason I felt that way is because when the pressure was put on, I, I, I didn't succeed. I, I didn't stand up for what I believed in. Because at that moment, at that moment where my heart was, was I was valuing what those people thought about me more than what God said in that moment. And you know, when the pressure is put on people, it doesn't matter if you're in a scenario similar to that, or, uh, but the pressure's coming one way or another, whether it's challenging your faith, whether it's standing up and fighting for your marriage, whether it's standing up and trusting God during a difficult time. There's going to come a time when the pressure is on that you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to cave? Am I going to give up on God? Am I, I'm just going to quit coming to church. It's just not worth it anymore. This doesn't help. I just, I'm, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. I'm not going to trust in God anymore. This is just a bunch of junk. And I just completely throw my hands up in the air and I give because the pressure's on. The pressure's on. What are you going to do when that pressure is on? What are you going to do in the middle of that moment when all of a sudden you have to make a decision? You see, we need to open up our hearts and allow God to do the heart work in our lives that needs to happen. Because as our heart changes, so do our values. Who we really trust begins to change. And that takes humility. It takes humility because pride is the one that wants to be accepted. Pride is the one that wants to say, I got this. I, I can do this on my own. I don't really trust in these words. I, I got this. I can handle this. That's what pride says. Pride says, I, I, I don't need this truth. Or we try to be like Saul. And it's still pride. We try to be like Saul. Oh, God, I'll meet you halfway. I'm, I, I know that your word says this, but I'm going to meet you halfway on this deal. And God says, no, I'm seeing straight through all of that. I'm seeing your heart. That's what I'm after. It's not just some type of formula. It's not just some type of uh, step that I want you to take. I'm after your heart. It's not reciting words. It's not just trying to, to, to do right for the sake of doing right. It's your heart. I'm after your heart. Folks, even, even with, with tithes and offerings, is God after your money? No. What is he after? Your heart. That's all this whole thing's been about this whole time. This whole Christianity thing, this whole relationship with God thing, this whole us being here on this earth, it's all, this whole time has been about him wanting us to choose him and us giving him our hearts. That's what it's been about since the beginning. That's what it's still about today. But for us to allow him to do the heart work in our life that needs to be done to help heal those things, to help find freedom from those things, to be able to truly position ourselves to give our hearts to God, we have to humble ourselves. Because humility cleanses our heart of selfish, prideful motives that would keep us worshiping at the feet of man's opinion, that would keep us addicted to what other people think about us. Humility and trusting in God will set you free you've got your bible i want you to turn over to the book of galatians chapter five i hope this is helping you this morning galatians five and 15 says this if you bite and devour one another beware lest you're consumed by one another so i tell you because of that walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit. And he said, the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another. So you don't do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envies, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, which I've told you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. What the Word is saying here is, listen, there's fruit that needs to be happening in our life. But for that to happen, we've got to walk according to the Spirit and not according to our own selfishness and our own selfish lusts. Because if we keep chasing after those things like what man thinks about us, and oh, I want to be righteous in the eyes of man, and I want man to put me up on a platform and a pedestal and think that I'm the best and think that I'm great, and then I'm valuing what others think about me more than I value what God's Word has declared and already said, then that's a form of pride. And I won't be producing this kind of fruit in my life because I'm not giving God my heart. Not in the way that he desires for me to. I'm trying to compromise. I'm trying to play the same game that Saul was playing with God. You see, humility is simply us admitting that we need God. That's what humility is. It's us simply admitting that we need God. Too often, folks, we are too full of answers, excuses, and justifications. Try to justify our struggles, try to justify why things are the way they are, try to point fingers, try to pass the blame. But humility is saying, I need God, okay? I need God. Too many times we want to puff out our chest, especially us guys. I got this figured out. I don't need your directions. I can figure it out myself. Don't GPS on no phone. It's inside me. I'll get us there, and I'll know when we arrived. You see, humility is admitting you need help. It's admitting I need God. It's admitting, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. Now, we want one another to think we got it all figured out. So we paint this perfect picture, and we present it before everyone, and God sees straight through it because he's looking at the heart, and he said, nope, it's not quite what it appears to be. You really need me. You really need me. You don't need Dr. Phil, you don't need Oprah, you don't need Dr. Spock, you don't need it. You need me. You don't need another prescription, you need me. Hello, somebody. You don't need to win the lottery, you need me. You don't need a better position at your job, you need me. We look at all these things, you don't need a better wife or a better husband, you need me. We think, oh, if I had this, or if I had that, or if he would act this way, or she would act this way, then everything would be better, and everything would be perfect. And that's us putting other people as our solution, or us putting things, or position, or titles, or accolades as our source, and as our answer. And God says, no, you need to humble yourself and forget the fact that you're trying to figure all of this out on your own and make this thing happen like it's something you can achieve. And you need to admit that you just need me. And when you admit that you need me, when I say something, you need to trust it. 
You need to trust that when I say this, that this is what you need to do, whether it's practical or impractical for you, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Saul, I know it wasn't very convenient to kill all of those oxen and all of those uh, goats and all of those sheep and all those wonderful things that you thought would be a great sacrifice. I know that it's not easy, and I know that sometimes, you know, you would say, well, last time we had a battle and we thought we were able to do this and this and this. But he says, no, this is what I'm telling you to do now. Obedience is showing me you trust me. When you show me you trust me, what you're really telling me is that I have your heart. And you're, you're, you're telling me, listen, God, I need you and I'm going to trust you and your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. It's not about Christianity or God's word being a convenience. Because a lot of times we wait for God to be convenient in our lives. And we want what he wants for us to do to be convenient every single time. Have you ever read the Bible? God asks a lot of people to do a lot of inconvenient things. Hey Peter, there's a storm. Come walk out on the water. Hey Jonah, go to this town where everybody's killing each other and hating everybody and go tell them that, that, uh, about God and go tell them that they need to find forgiveness and start loving one another. Hey, David, little boy over there, go grab some stones. And you know that slingshot? Why don't you go take out a giant? Inconvenient. Hey, Noah, why don't you spend the next hundred years of your life building a boat? Because I promise it's going to rain. Inconvenient. At the most inopportune times, sometimes it seems like, God, it doesn't make sense, but humility is admitting that God's ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I need to trust him because he has my best interest in mind. And if I can take him at his word, and when I see something here in his word, in the scripture, I realize that it's for me and I cast down my thought of how it should be or how I think it should go. That's what 2 Corinthians 10 says. Matter of fact, why don't you go over there real quick? 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 says this. I'll give you just a second. 2 Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10 and 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments. And every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Some translations say casting out every imagination and every high thing. Anything that would try to exalt itself against God's knowledge. Against what God said. Anything that would want to say, I know better than you, God. And this is why. You see, that's pride. That's pride. It'll come before a fall. It will mess us up. It will keep us in bondage because we're worshiping at the altar of our own ideas and our own thoughts instead of submitting ourselves to God and, and humbling ourselves and admitting that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Humility is us admitting, listen, God, I need you. I need your word. I need your truth in my life, and I'm going to trust you. You see, too often we're full of those answers. We're full of excuses, justification of our struggles. Admitting we need God requires us to humble ourselves and admit that we can't do this alone. That we need to trust Him in His Word. I need to allow Him to do the heart work in my life. Matter of fact, Jesus said something very similar to this in 
Matthew chapter 5, when he's uh, preaching Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Matthew 5 and verse 5. says, blessed are the meek or the humble. Blessed are those who are meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are pure-hearted. I look that phrase up, pure heart. The pure heart in the Greek is translated as a word katharos. It's where we get our English word, you know, cathartic or, 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 you know, different things talking about our heart. He's talking about it means clean, means ethical, means pure. It means genuine, real, authentic, genuine, pure. That's the kind of heart that God is looking for. He said, blessed are those who have a genuine heart about them who are real folks, who understand that they need God, who recognize that they want to give their heart to Him. See, when we humble ourselves, we become pliable. That's what we do. We become pliable in what we allow God to work on in our hearts, in our perspective, or in our thinking. Because we can't always blame everybody else. We can't blame our husband, our kids, our wife, our parents, missed opportunities, injuries, mistakes, habits, or God any longer. It's time for us, church, to open up ourselves to the truth of God's word by trusting him and allowing that truth to set us free. There's freedom in being real. There's freedom in sincerity. There's freedom in being genuine. There is freedom in sincerity because God is looking at our hearts. If we're sincere, if we're real and if we're ready to trust Him, it puts us in a position where we grow in understanding and experiencing that freedom that Jesus bought and paid for on the cross. Because I don't want to hear about people having great marriages anymore. I want to have one myself. Right? I don't want to, I don't want to just hear about it. I want to experience it. I don't want to hear another person's story just about how they were set free from addiction or depression or anger. I want to experience that myself. I don't want to be someone who sits in the chair of a church week after week and hears about how God is good to everybody else except me. I want God to be good to me because, believe me, folks, He does. He wants to be good to you just like He was for that person that may have shared their story. But sometimes we get so frustrated. We get so frustrated because we're looking for that thing that happened to someone else to happen to us. And we're like, oh God, why don't you like me? I remember I, I would hear, I grew up hearing stories about how people would be blessed financially or how they would get out of debt or how God would heal this person of this disease or that disease or how this person would just have been saved from this terrible life of sin and all these habits. And I look at my life and I feel like I'm a failure as a Christian because I didn't see those things happening in my life. Am I talking to anybody this morning? I must be a failure as a Christian because I, I, I do struggle in my marriage sometimes and I'm not the best parent in the world. Or sometimes I do struggle financially. I must be a pretty sorry Christian. I must not be as good as so-and-so. And then we begin to try to rank ourselves and we think that God ranks us. Well, the reason these things must not be happening is because God doesn't like me. No, God likes you just as much as he likes them. He loves you just as much as he loves that person that you may be seeing all these things happen in their life. The difference is, and listen real close, the difference is, are we putting ourselves in a position 
where we humble our hearts before God and we say, God, I trust you. I trust you in your word. If your word says this, then I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stop living the rest of my life trying to prove myself and I'm just going to learn how to grow in your grace and your truth and your freedom by when you say something, I'm going to go, you know what, that is for me. It's for me just as much as it is for the person that's standing up and speaking it or the person that's sitting next to you or the person that has that great story and testimony. The same freedom is available to you. The same blessing, the same peace, the same comfort, the same salvation is available to you. You've just got to trust Him. Amen? Amen. You've got to trust Him and you've got to allow Him to do the work on your heart. You've got to stop worshiping at the feet of your own idea of how you think things should go and you've got to start trusting God. We've got to stop worshiping at the feet of other people's opinions of us and look at what did God say. Because there's freedom in that genuine heart. There's freedom in that pure heart. There's freedom in us giving our heart to God and not just halfway, not trying to do the thing like Saul did where we say, you know what, this, this is a good compromise. I'll meet you in the middle. No, he said, listen, I want you to obey because I promise you there's going to be blessing in obedience. And if you obey me, it's showing me your heart. Because I see right through your intentions. I see right through your good works. I see right through your nice, kind words. I see what's really going on. And I see that you need to allow me to do heart work in your life. To bring healing and restoration. And to really position you where you need to be in life. And live the life that I've created for you to live. But for you to do that, you've got to humble yourself. Under God's mighty hand. Under His word. Under His truth. And trust in Him. Trust in Him above your own ideas your own ways of reasoning, your own perspective. Because if you're ready to experience that real freedom, if you're ready to experience real peace, real joy, real blessing, and stop simply just talking about it or hearing about it, then you need to start today by quit living your life in a way that you're trying to earn it, but start living your life in a way that you choose to allow God and His Word to influence your heart and your mind. And that's what Jesus meant when He was trying to explain to us that we'll know the truth and this truth will make us free when we understand the truth of the goodness of God when we understand truly what Jesus did on the cross when he died for us when we understand the truth about God's love and his mercy and who he is when we understand that and we get a hold of it and it changes our perspective it changes our way of thinking it will truly set us free and we'll walk in that freedom and we'll be free indeed Amen? Amen. Amen. I want you to bow your head for just a moment, if you would. You see, God sets us free when we learn to receive His Word. When we learn to receive the truth that God isn't mad at us, that God doesn't look upon us as an outcast or a failure, no matter what you've done or no matter how far you may have gone. You have to receive right now that God loves you right where you are. Somebody in this place, I really believe with all my heart, needs to receive that truth that God loves them right where they're at. You're trying to change things in your life to try to get God to love you, and, and you can't do that. You can't earn that. God loves you right where you are. Loves you right where you are, sir. Right where you're at. Right where you're at, Dad. He loves you. Right where you're at, Mom. Right where you're at, husband or wife. Son or daughter. 
He loves you right where you're at. All the junk you're dealing with, all the baggage, all the hurt, all the pain, all the failure, all that junk. He said, I'm not marking your life by those things. When I see you, I see Jesus. Because his sacrifice paid the penalty for all of that stuff. And you need to rest in my grace and my goodness and grow in the fact that I love you and I want your heart. I want your heart, all of it. He wants you, he wants that love to move you to forgive those who have done you wrong so you'll stop treating your wife and your children so bad. He wants you to open up your heart today and obey him out of trust and love, not just because it's another religious obligation that you feel because you're afraid of what you'll lose if you don't keep up the good face and if you don't just hold your mouth just right and you don't stand up and sit down when you're supposed to and you don't just do everything just so-so that you think all of a sudden I'm gonna God's gonna be mad at me and he's not gonna like me because I can't perform for him no this isn't a performance deal you need to understand that this is not a religious obligation where we serve God because we're afraid of what we'll lose if we don't just do everything just right now. He's loving you. His grace and mercy is bigger. But He wants you to be real. He wants you to be genuine. And let your actions, your words, and your heart line up together. I'm going to say that again. While you've got your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to let this sink in. Think about this. God wants your actions, your words, and your heart to line up together because He does want you to have the right actions. He does want you to have the right words. He does want you to say things that are good and edifying. And He does want you to do good to others. He wants you to have those works. He wants you to have those words. But He wants it to line up with your heart. He wants it all to line up because your heart's pure, because your heart's genuine and authentic. And it's not just something I'm doing to try to earn some spot with God. He wants us to live as free men and women who refuse to allow selfishness, our past or others' opinions, to dictate our future and our purpose. We need to allow God's Word to do the heart work in our life today, and you'll never be the same. You're in here this morning, you're saying, yeah, Pastor, that's me. I, I, I need to open myself up to let God doing the heart work in my life. I'm ready to move forward with God, and I just want to have that strength to choose when that temptation, when the pressure is on to allow Him to do the heart work in my life I want to position my heart in a way that's humble to allow His truth to set me free and to heal and to restore everything in my life if you say, yeah pastor, that's me, here's what I want to do before we go any further in the service I want to say a prayer for you but while everybody's got their head bowed and their eyes closed I don't want anybody looking around. I just want you to just let me know, yeah, pastor, that's me. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come down or anything like that. Just lift your hand and let me know, yeah, yeah, that's me. I, I want you to pray for me. Hands up all over this room. I see that. It's, it, it's good. You can put your hand back down. Anybody else? Just let me know. Yeah, I, I want you to pray for me. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just pray for all these people that just lifted their hands here in this place. 
You know who they are, even those that may not have lifted their hands, God. You know where they're at in their heart, where they're at in their walk with you. I just ask you in Jesus' name that you would just give them the strength that they need to be able to do, Father, what you've created them to do. To truly live that life that is free. To live that life that's at peace with you. To grow in your goodness. To allow the kindness of the Lord to lead us to life change. Thank you, God, that you would help to renew our minds as we pursue you and pursue getting to know you more as we seek after your truth and that sets us free as we trust in your truth above our own ways we cast down every imagination any high thing that would try to exalt itself against your truth God and we trust in you above all else and I thank you God that they just open their hearts up to you humble their hearts before you and admit that they need you in Jesus name Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.